Welcome to Bring Your Own Brain, season two. Excited today to have uh, Mitch and Trevor with me. Mitch is a business law and estates attorney with more than 25 years of experience representing business owners, entrepreneurs, executives, and professionals providing advice, guidance, and legal work to help keep clients on their road to success. He is also the creator and host of the Accidental Entrepreneur Podcast. And of course, he loves to frequent networking groups, which is how we met. We're both connectors. He has his own podcast. I can't wait till he invites me to be a guest on it. Trevor is an accomplished and strategic business partner with 15 plus years of cross-functional finance and operations experience in the private equity backed market. His passion has always been to do the right thing, both in business and life, believing that it is important to be a positive influence on others. His father showed him the value of a relationship, both personal and professional, and he hopes to help others along the way. It was a pleasure to meet Trevor through Mitch. Excited to have you guys both here. And of course, I am the breath of fresh air every leadership and relationship conversation needs right now. I bring authenticity, humility, and humor to every conversation, creating the space our world leaders like. <laughs> to truly diversify their portfolios and support all women in leadership. Relationships can't be a leader without being in relationship to others. And as an added bonus, life. Okay. You froze there for a little while, Katie. Ah. Uh, Hopefully it doesn't freeze on my end. Uh -oh. um, okay. So this is part of my mission on a, to host 100 million witty and wise conversations that disrupt the way leaders think and the way the world communicates. Your leaders are naturally creative, resourceful, and whole. Stop trying to fix it or consult it. We'll talk about that. You can consult a little. But let's start training your leaders to coach it and create from it. So welcome, Trevor and Mitch. I'm sorry Thanks. I missed the part where I talked about myself and how great I am. Yeah, well, that'll be on the video, right? <laughs> yes, you can listen to it on the video. I'm sure you'll, you'll see it all here. Um, so welcome. Today, we're going to talk about leadership. And it's COVID. Things are changing. So what are your perspectives on what leadership looks like, where it needs to go, where they should be focusing? You want to go first? Yeah, I'll go first, Mitch, if you don't mind. So I think leadership leadership today, I think we need to be ever-changing. I think we need to look at things that we've not necessarily looked at in the past before and really start to adopt new policies and procedures. Uh, you know, there's countless restaurants I've talked to and entrepreneurs and business owners, and I hear the same thing. You know, I'm, I'm just waiting for the rate, the, to ride the wave, waiting for it to change in the state of New Jersey and so on and so forth. And unfortunately, that's just not the best approach to becoming a real leader, you know, amidst the crisis. Yeah. It's changing and trying things that may be uncomfortable, difficult, that may challenge you and challenge the people you work with or your employees, but in a respectful manner, of course. And I think leaders today really need to take advantage and really try different things. You know, I have a great example of someone who had an opportunity to change his pricing at a restaurant and instill a fee that is um, uh, basically a chargeback for your credit card. Like a so COVID you, fee. Yeah. Uh, no, no. It's actually just a reverse. Oh, no. Pass card. on the processing fee. Yeah. Yeah. On, on your credit card processing. So right. you go out to eat, you, you know, you swipe your credit card and, you know, that's it. Game over. Well, now, you know, restaurant owners and business owners have been taking those kind of credit card transaction fees on the chin. And, and he's, you know, fast forward and looking into the future. And, and how do I stay afloat to stay a part of the business and the, and the community? And it didn't get, it didn't have the best resounding answer, but you know what? A lot of his long-term customers saw the value. He right. wants to be there for another 25 years. 
and this is the things you need to do to get them there and to be along the way. So I think it's very important on leadership. Yeah, I think that the stuff that I'm seeing is the the business owners that are really kind of leading the way. I mean, first they're they've pivoted during the crisis to be able to survive to support their employees, but they've also put out a pretty clear message to their I guess their employees and their customers as to the steps that they're taking to protect the people that they do business with, the people that they hire, to make it a safe environment in a in an environment where we you know, a lot of this is unknown to us. It's all new. You know, do you put black lights in your, in your UV lights in your waiting room? Do you, you know, do you put masks down? And I mean, nobody knows what really works. Everybody says, oh, my spray lasts for 90 days and this one, so they don't really know. So they're kind of feeling their way, even from an employment law standpoint. So the ones that I see doing it are, are being, you know, being good leaders are affirmative. They're not sitting around and saying, well, I don't know, let's see what happens. They're being proactive about it. Yeah. And I think in a time of, uh, chaos and pandemonium and crisis. I've heard people going to different places having panic attacks and stuff because they see, you know, spit flying and somebody's not wearing a mask and this and that. It, you know, you, I think you really have to set the, um, not the bar, but you have to set a tone that if you want people to come back and frequent your business, right, Trevor, they, they need to be comfortable doing that because even if the governor says, okay, we can open 50%, that doesn't mean magically your restaurant's going to fill up to 50%. People have to be comfortable doing that. It, it's you know? all about improving the customer, you know, experience. Yeah. I, in, in reality, how do we make, and I said, I've said this plenty of times, like, you know, talk about being touched. How do you make someone feel comfortable where they go to a place, whether mask or yeah. not, outside or not, you know, you're, you have to be cognizant aware of everybody that's going out there and transparency is first and foremost. Yeah. How do we, as a community, you know, go forward and get past this. I think that's one of the hardest things for leaders to figure out is not having, you know, a real end game in sight. How much longer does this kind of wave that we're riding, you know, continue to have the up and downs? And it could be for, uh, for a some long time. time, I think. Yeah, I know. And, and I, think I think you're right. That's I think one of the problems that I see right now in leadership that people are like, well, you know, when this, when the, we get back to normal. When this, when, it's not going to, there's no normal. Yeah. And, and I think leaders it's also have to normal. respect their employees and their customers and do business with and support their employees the way they want to be supportive. If an employee wants to work three days from home, or I've heard some companies where they literally have demanded that people come back to work. And I, I think I think that's a very risky thing to do from a liability standpoint, but I'd also think it's not a very good leadership. You know, leaders don't, there's a difference between a leader and a dictator, clearly, right? The dictator tells you what to do. The leader guides you along the way and says, okay, if we're going to do it this way and you only want to come in three days a week, we got to move the shifts around so people are here and you're communicating, let's put these tools in place. That's what a leader does, right? That's the difference between the president of a democracy and the dictator of a country. Yeah, I also think that leader has Another to be episode. a visionary as well that says, all right, everything we used to know, like to Trevor's point of trying new things, throw everything we know about what works yeah. out the window and let's start looking at what is what works today. Right. <laughs> because what, what, what works today is going to work at least for the next few years. And for sure. Well, we probably jumped 15 years in terms of the progression of these types of things. Yeah. I mean, when you think about it, 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 it's so well, like today and tomorrow and so on and so forth and encouraging and fostering these new ideas. I've seen so many times, I've been fortunate enough to lead some very, very large teams and some small ones. 
and the opportunity to give someone a voice, right? And maybe you have that, you know, person, the guy or girl who, you know, is the you know, part of the bedrock of your foundation of the business, but you don't really talk about them strategically about where the business is going to go. Right. And you'd be surprised, like nine times out of 10, just some ideas that may even spark another idea. It doesn't have to be something great or earth shattering. Hey, why don't we try this? Oh, it's like, you know, it look, like it's not rocket science, but, no, but it's it, open-minded. It's giving, it's giving the forum and the platform for these people to speak. And right. I think that's the most important thing that we need to think about. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think about the conversation, like that conversation of a, a leader has a conversation right now and says, whatever, bring in your janitors, bring in your ground level people that are keeping the lights on and ask them what is going to work now. We don't have those conversations as leaders. And the further up you go up that ladder, right? You the, more the more the disconnect. Exactly. Like what actually happens at an operational yeah. level? I'm right. leading a large middle market company. How do I know that my guys driving trucks are doing it in the most efficient manner? I've never even seen the guys that drive the trucks. I mean, that's just not the, the best way to run a business. And just my, my, it's my personal thing, obviously. I have to keep little quotes on that one, right, Mitch? <laughs> yeah, but at times like this, you need to connect with those people. So you yeah. have to figure out how do you do it, right? No question about it. The guys on the shop floor and the guys driving the truck, they want to be recognized too. They're the guys on the front lines, exposed to everything and it's difficult. I mean, I'm a solopreneur. I, I have a, my own practice. I don't have those issues. I'm in a co-working space though. They immediately put out signs and, and all kinds of stuff and they make it at, go out of their way to make sure everyone here is comfortable coming into work. You know, there was a case back in March and they said, listen, we had a positive case here and nobody was really in, but you should all be aware of that. And I think transparency, like you said, Trevor, is very important because it, it protects your, even from a liability standpoint, it protects you. <laughs> Yeah. We don't really have rules about this stuff. So if you get in trouble and you get an employee that complains or you get a lawsuit, you better at least have be able to say, hey, listen, we did everything that was reasonable and was and was caring and we tried to do the, the right thing. It, it doesn't mean people aren't going to get sick, though. So. Uh, I think what's the old line that you can get sued by anyone anytime for any reason, something yep. like that? You can su get sued by anyone and everyone. Yeah, I mean, you don't, yeah, that's, I mean, that's a whole nother episode. <laughs> people that make money just by suing people. <laughs> I try to talk people out of that all the time. Yeah, yeah. so when we, so with, with this huge change and shift, what opportunities are you guys seeing for leaders to try something new? What areas are you seeing that people are, great leaders are actually taking advantage of in this time of pause, I, I think data, I think like, you know, a lot of the business owners I'm looking at and talking to is, is, you know, a KPI, that key performance indicator or something that drives your business model. They're looking at those and saying, well, that doesn't work anymore. Or, Hey, Hey, how can I leverage, you know, how many times the phone's not picked up, you know, on the first try things that you wouldn't think that have a lot of merit, but now as customer service becomes a larger part of all of our, kind of well-being and business life cycles, you know, it's important to kind of start thinking about these things. And I think people are going to start taking advantage in a good way of, you know, taking some of that historical data and then start bouncing things against it. Let me try something new and let me see if I have the data that correlates with it. You know, I also, and, and you know, Trevor deals more in the large, and mostly on the larger corporate side than I do. I'm more the street lawyer dealing with local people, but the people in the local communities I see that are leading are doing things to not only support their business, but support the community. There's a little guy in town, he's a pizza shop, and we have a lot of pizza places in Westfield. 
So he opened up on the south side. I'm like, oh, this guy's going to have trouble. I mean, this is going to be difficult for him. He has not only has he been killing it, but he's been doing stuff for the frontline workers. He's been doing stuff for other businesses in town. He's been partnering with other businesses. The community outreach. Yeah, yeah. There's, a, there's a woman that I know, actually, she's a friend who's on my podcast. She's got a fresh box type of business called Just Farmed. So she had all these farmers that normally send a lot of stuff to restaurants that now all had all this produce and everything. So she partnered with him and then she was selling more stuff and then they were delivering stuff to the frontline workers. And th I mean, that's what a, you know, a good leader does when the smog is setting in and you can't really see past all of this craziness. Because I remember in March, we were like, Oh, by, by May. I mean, we'll be back this to work. This will yeah. be passing. Yeah. You know, I was doing this uh, pod, not podcast, like a video, you know, a live stream, like every Thursday. It was Tuesday, Thursday. And I said, oh, well, by the end of April, I won't do this anymore. Then I realized, oh, this is going to go on for a while. So I switched to just Thursdays. Now I'm running out of stuff to talk about. So, you know, it, 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 and that's the reality of, I think, like Trevor said, the, the people that are leading and surviving with their businesses are setting the tone that says, hey, you, it's a, you got to accept that things have changed. They're not going to go back to the way they used to be. And that's okay. You know? Yes. You know, I, and, and if you're a leader, the leader doesn't say, oh, this will go away. Don't worry. You won't get it. The leader says, we're going to change the way we do business. We're going to protect you. And if you are affected by this, we're going to support you. And we're going we're, to get through this together. That's what a good leader does. You know, unfortunately, there's been a lot of different people in Washington and leading other states and other, and I'm not saying Democrats or Republicans, I mean, both have had their problems that haven't done that. You know, I'm not a big Giuliani fan, but in 9-11, he was to New York, like he wasn't sugarcoat. He wasn't saying that we're going to be fine. Don't worry about everything. We'll go back to normal. He's, he, I remember him saying, I don't know how many people died today, but it's going to be more a large, too big of a number for any of us to bear. And, and I think that was honest. And I think if people are honest, they, oh, yeah. and they're in leadership positions, that's all we can ask of them. And nobody expects them to be perfect and, 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 and tell things that aren't true. We're not stupid. We want to know what the truth is. It's okay. And it makes us feel better when somebody who is in that position says, yeah, we're going to have trouble. This is going to be difficult. You're going to have no money. You're not going to make money for four months in your business. I don't know what's going to happen, but we're going to deal with it together. And that's yes. what I think is good. Yeah. Thing. What I'm hearing in that, that I love I, is you're talking about emotions. <laughs> Very much so. And that is, is not something before COVID that we would have ever talked about being something that leaders needed to tap into. Right. And as the research continues to come out behind neuroscience and supporting leadership and the entrepreneur brain, the leadership brain, the right brain thinking, the emotional brain, the creativity, the getting tapped into that is so crucial. Big time. And the ent entire world leadership style has been shattered. There's a lot of emotion there. We see people that don't want to wear masks. We right. see people that are, you know, we have protesting, it's turning violent. All of these are responses from an emotional crisis right. that our leaders I still don't see no, some of them, a lot of them handle it very poorly Yeah, and it didn't I, have to be handled that way, you know, and, and look, look, we were all holding our breath until school started. So now we're going into the next wave with parents that are nervous with their kids going to school and the teachers aren't going, I mean, that's got to have to settle out too. So it was like the next wave because schools were all shut down, right? The whole society was shut down 
until we got into the summer that everybody's holding their breath. Now kids go back to college. They're all breaking out in the coronavirus and, and schools are shutting down. That's going to be the next thing. And now public schools, I'm in Westfield. Chatham shut down two days after they opened. Yeah. I have a no, teacher a who teacher. teaches my daughter from home and I found out her kids are at the school. So she's not home because her kids are at home. It makes no sense to me. Yeah. The former teacher is I was sitting here watching the leadership where I just, we just, we decided to not try something new. We stuck to kids have to learn. This is how it happens. This is the way it, and we will work around it. No one wanted to have a leadership conversation about how do we emotionally support right. families and students. Yeah. And teachers who are frightened. Teachers. Yeah. And how do we give throw out what school was, <laughs> which was you. And if you're totally hearing right. what's happening on the zoom meetings, like I've seen on Facebook, parents are posting, like the kids are being told, like if they turn their head and they don't look at the screen, like they're literally building little people that interact a certain way. Like right. that's not what they need. No, no. They're trying to teach like we used to teach when they were in the classroom and they can't, they don't need to know what they needed to know right. before COVID. <laughs> And right Katie, now. I don't think that the pre the principals and the and the superintendents realize that the the tremendous leadership positions that they're in in the communities that the parents look up to them for guidance and direction because the parents don't have control of what goes on in the districts. They just send your kid. Well, um, and the districts you know, don't have control because they have to listen to the governor. They have to listen to the state. Yeah, right, I know. Right. Exactly. This is look. My kids went back the first day. I think it was the last Thursday or something. It was pouring rain and the whole thing was a mess. There were kids waiting online. There was no social distancing. Freshmen were crying. I mean, it was nuts. They had plenty of time to prepare for this, and they didn't want the kids coming to school until they checked the list, you know, the whole thing. That's a failure of leadership as far as I'm concerned. And Absolutely. it was not a good day. I would have loved to have seen, and I'm not a parent, so you guys might freak out when I say this, but I would have <laughs> loved to have said, this year is going to be about emotionally supporting teachers, students, and families. If that means your child graduates high school at 19, if that means that your kindergartner spends more time in kindergarten. It might happen, right? That's then, then you got other sides not, of like- Parents, but, you guys can read a book to your kids, right? Like right. you guys can turn on a YouTube video and they can learn something. Right. To have a leader that recognized in this moment in time that, that knowledge about how they're feeling and understanding that is far more important. Right, right. Well, it's an interesting, there's two sides to that though. You got from a societal standpoint, you don't want to have a gap in the, in the working population, like a whole year when nobody's coming out of school or something. I mean, there are ramifications that are- But are there jobs needed. for them? <laughs> well, that's the other side of it, right? So is it that, really yeah. that bad? And yeah, most there may of the less jobs. Right, there's no programs right now, no internship programs. I mean they're cutting people back. Trevor, you, what are your thoughts? I know you have younger kids. I, yeah, I have a younger daughter. She's uh, three and a half. Yeah. I mean, listen, it's, it's very, very difficult. You know, my wife's a teacher, you know, I just, I feel for so many people, right? It's a little bit easier. I have very close family network. Like my mother's watching my daughter right now, which is very, very nice. Your wife's going to school, Trevor? She's yeah, yeah, she's, school? yeah. She's, she's going to school and you know, it's just, it's just difficult. You know, when you, we talk about failure with leaders, I actually like to have leaders who've had a lot of failure in, in a positive manner, learning. All right. So I'm okay with trying something for, you know, to, to maybe do something different. 
Right. And then, you know, hey, this doesn't work, but let me kind of move on to the next thing. I don't, I don't think you become a great leader without a lot of failure. No, you can't build emotional intelligence if you don't fail and, and have experiences like that. You just don't. And, and, you know, the fact that it's almost like each superintendent, these principals are all kind of being asked to do something different. They have pressure from students. They have pressure from teachers. They have pressure from the government, the state, the community. I mean, you name it. Yeah. It's, not, it's not easy. And I'm not advocating for anyone one way or another. I think it's no. just a very, very difficult time we're going to be in for a, a period of time. I think we all just have to kind of start thinking collectively what's the best. You know, start throwing out ideas, you know, like, hey, maybe we do this. We try the 50-50, the virtual. And then just like they're doing with um, um, restaurants and, you know, slowly doing things. I mean, obviously nothing's ideal for anyone. Right. I mean, you could say, hey, listen, open up restaurants, small hundred percent. Everyone's like, oh, okay, great. Uh, there'll be a ton of people who say, no, 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 I can't do this. No, no, right? exactly. So you have to, you, you can't just appeal to the masses. You have to make things strategic. And I think that's the toughest thing right now yeah. for the leaders to really go through. Right. Yeah. I have a friend who has a business where they do, um, uh, well, he do, he's an after school program and they also do like, like it's a martial arts academy. Okay. And they do, and they do tutoring and stuff like that. So they were getting to open and they surveyed all their parents. Nobody wants to send their kids back to, so he can't. They do some outdoor stuff, but nobody wants to go inside. So it's got, you got to work that way. And that's what a good person, a leader does. Look, I, I think that it's really tough because if you look at the school system, for example, as you know, leadership development, this is something that should have taken like 10 or 15 years. And we did it in four months. So oh, yeah. it's really hard on the teachers. Yeah. Because they're teaching, our teaching way we teach is not, that doesn't fit this new world and they got to learn and change and it's going to be difficult, painful. That's for older teachers, not like your wife, Trevor. I mean, if somebody's like, you know, in their sixties and they're nearing retirement, they're probably figured I'd never have to deal with this. I know, right? I'll just age out of it. And now they're on zoom and Google classroom and all this stuff. And they're like, you know, I'm sure they feel like fish out of water. Yeah. But then you have people like Jack, the gentleman we just spoke to. I mean, he's not a young lad. And he's 78, 79 years old. He's on Zoom training people. Virtually Zoom. And and it's great. So it's empowering to see that. And I think like mentorships and people learning from different people. When I think of the word leader, I think of mentors as well, by the way. Well, I don't think that they can't do it. It's just a lot of them don't want to. Oh, yeah. My dad's 76 (laughs) years old. He doesn't want to. He didn't want to do this. Yeah. Now everything has got to be online. He's like, oh, so. But that's life, right? Life changes and bounces us around like ping pong balls. And that's the fun part. (laughs) <laughs> it's the difficult part. So we need good leaders to uh, be in positions of, and take their position seriously. Of course. Yeah. And I, I think it ties back to what Trevor said about just trying something new. And when you, you know, you can't build emotional intelligence without failure. When you try something new, you know, things are going to fail. Right. You uh, know it. So, it's not like, right? will it fail? It will. It's just a question fail. of what will and, fail. And if you accept that, I think that takes a lot of pressure off. Yeah. But, and so for leaders, what I would have loved to see them do for education is look at that time period in March, April, May, June, where we had to do the online uh, and to really say, you know, we tried that and it failed. I hear what we're trying to like, do we bring them back? Do we not bring them back? But what we didn't do is look under the hood and say, well, why did it fail? What right. about it failed? Because the reality is parents are emotionally in a crisis. They're living in a pandemic. Right. Kids are emotionally in a crisis. Teachers, we're all living in a pandemic. And so if you started to really peel back, it didn't fail because we didn't know how to learn on Zoom. It didn't fail because technology failed. It failed because it didn't meet the need 
of the people you were yeah, trying well, we to serve. We didn't figure that out. We didn't spend the time figuring that and out. And when you go back to customer service, Mitch, that you've talked about so much, we didn't, the education needs to rethink how you service your customer. Yeah, they don't think of the students and the teachers as their customer. They really don't. Yeah. But that's the difference between a capitalist entrepreneurial mindset and a public institution. I'm sure the private schools handled it very differently because they have customers. They got parents paying them. Yeah, you know, that's interesting because some private schools said, you know, we're going to bring parents on that want to do no masks because they don't want their kids exposed to that. And they had, yeah. so there's private schools where they all sign the waivers. And then there's, you're right, you're able to pivot more uh, when you have some re some less restrictions in that way and give the customers options. I and mean, that's something else, right? Public schools could have said, okay, these three buildings, Zoom only, who <laughs> wants to sign their kid up right. for these buildings. You, know, there's, right. you don't do that when you have unions and government. Right. And all of, it, it, it really strangles your creativity and your ability to try something new without feeling afraid to fail. Yep. That's the problem. Kind of why I had to leave teaching. <laughs> I have a lot of friends that, I'm I does too, that used to be teachers and they left and did something else because they weren't happy. They were disillusioned. It was, you know, whatever. Well, I, I didn't think that we were doing right by kids to, um, to try to fix them, right? Sit still, listen to me. This is how you learn. You're fixing them. You're saying something's wrong with them. There was nothing wrong with them um, other than we just needed to think about how we learned and, so Eid stock and speak easies were super fun. And there was a lot of writing that took place before you got to go to Eid stock and hold up your protest sign. <laughs> but there was also music that happens. You guys, you got to listen to the culture. And so if you think about learning outside of your things, I bet those kids could tell you a hell of a lot more about the, what actually happened in politics then because they had that experience. Right. Um, Throughout yeah. my life, I'll, I could tell you, I could pinpoint certain times where I, I learned so much that had nothing to do with the traditional schooling I was going through through college, high school, from the people that I was surrounded with, the professors, whomever. And it was these off conversations that had something to do with nothing else that have, that have helped me round myself out and become a, a, a great individual, I think, for my family and the people I work with. Yeah. Um, but again, it wasn't like the traditional, as you said, uh, you know, sit down, open your textbooks, go to chapter one. You know, it was, hey, listen, I, I got this real life situation. Uh, I can tell you right now, I had a professor of business ethics who was a judge who had something very, very peculiar that he went over in school, maybe about like a small violation for a noise ordinance in cars, nonetheless. But he, just the way he talked about it and the way he held himself, it's like, wow, I'm like, this is the real world. Uh, you know, what do I, what do these books even mean anymore? Like, I'm now hearing a real world example of something that really happened. It's like, holy crap, this is cool. Yeah. Like, and it, like, it stayed with me. I'm, you know, that was, I don't know how many years ago, you know, a long time ago. And children right now have access to all of that. Yeah, you know, right. Learning through conversation, all of us are learning from each other in this moment. What have our leaders thought about? Well, I always learn through conversation. Seven-year-olds teach me a lot. I don't know if you've ever had a conversation with a kid. Your three-and-a-half-year-old probably teach you a lot about life if you ask them questions. Plus, I think they think more now because they're exposed to more information through yeah. the internet and stuff. Yeah. And so there's just a, there's, we think about how we learn as adults, and yet we still are teaching differently in the classroom. And that's not, and 
unfortunately we don't learn more until we go to college. And then what's, what's great about college? Well, this guy like talked to me for an hour and then I read right. some stuff, oh, but like, that's how you explore. learn. And you got your little study groups and you talked about the thing. Yeah. Um, that could be study groups on a zoom and a pod. You could do a podcast. You can have your host. You don't judges are now teachers. Former teachers are now teachers. <laughs> uh, relieve some of the pressure from the actual teachers. Right. Yeah. But we stuck instead to kind of what we understand and what we know about schools. That's common in life, though. Yeah. It's not good, but it's common in life. Path of least resistance. Yeah, of course. Right. You We've always been teaching don't... kids like it's 1945 we, until Whatever. last spring. Do this the easiest. It's it's yeah. really hard to go against that grain. There's you know. a guy who was on my podcast, I think last week, Jeff Gargis, and he's got a company called Teach Better. And they go into districts and teach the teachers how to be better teachers. They don't change the curriculum, but they, it, it's more of a personalized, almost like an individual education plan for each kid. You don't teach the kids based on their grade level. You teach them based on their abilities and move them along slower, faster, whatever. And it's, you know, that, that's what they're doing. That's their mission. So. Yeah, I, they're doing the right thing. But the other part, of te- I think we forget in leadership is that our kids are leaders. So we haven't talked about them as leaders and it to really take the pressure off at home in a classroom is to empower kids to put on their different hats. You can co-lead each, you can give a hundred percent a teacher and a kid and lead a class together. Uh, Kids are great leaders from behind. They're the best supporters. Um, Leaders in the field, like reading the energy, having your kids in your in your home say hey your job today while we're cooking dinner is just to make sure check in make sure everybody's doing okay kids love doing that um leading in front your kid can absolutely take them to the playground let them lead you i think we forget as leaders sometimes that we don't have to be leading in front that we can lead from behind you're you're setting the example i mean i think about when i was a child my father was the the first and foremost leader my entire life he's superman Everything about my me, who made me, what I am, is from him. You know, like I, I can't even begin to describe the amount of leadership I saw on a daily basis. How he handled himself, how he worked with people at an early age. You know, helping people out that didn't have the means. You know, and I just saw the tremendous amount of value that was brought from it. You know, not just intrinsic. You know, for you know self gain, but just just the, the, the synergies and the explosions that happened afterwards, all positive in nature, just tremendous. And I, I learned, like, that's what I try to do with my daughter and our family. And I know Mitch, I know Mitch's a big leader, you know, and, and I learned from Mitch every day, you know, and Mitch and I have great conversations about different things. And it's nice to be able to get different point of views and, and learn by example, or yeah. Yeah, lead by example. Right. Yeah. Well, leaders I don't need the spotlight. You don't, you don't need to be a leader in the spotlight. You actually, you want to shine lights on other people to help them develop and be, I always say, when you're the president of the organization, you should be doing the least amount of work. It's the easiest job. You want to, you want to empower people, make them feel good, guide them, and then delegate everything. It's not more work. It's less work. I love that you talk about your dad being such a strong leader, because I think that's such a great segue for the importance of male leadership and the male leader brain. So just to throw in some fun neuroscience, because guys like this part, testosterone and estrogen, both really important hormones in the brain. Is this gonna be a men are from Mars, women are from Venus discussion? It's not. <laughs> it's um, more like we are both living in this planet. You are just hanging out more on Mars with your testosterone, which happens to be a much more stable hormone. 
in the brain and estrogen, women tend to hang out more on Venus and that is a little bit more unstable. And in the brain, the testosterone actually will help guide the estrogen to the receptor. So when we say unstable, we're not talking about us women, we're talking about the hormone itself and getting to where it needs to go. But both are equally important in the brain and that I think is exactly why leadership for men and women are equally important and why we, we do need to work on closing the leadership gap, particularly on boards. <laughs> uh, and in, in, you know, I think we're getting there in VP positions as we're starting to really uh, look into getting more women and climbing the corporate ladder and having more opportunities. But board diversity is huge for um, companies to pivot and think differently. And uh, the women leadership style is typically different than men, but it's equal, just like the estrogen and the testosterone, but equally important. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on how we can help close this leadership gap for women and get more women um, bringing their brains to the leadership. I'll take a quick stab at it. Yeah, so I had, I had a, a beautiful mentor about a decade ago, a woman in leadership you know, just tremendously smart. And one of the things that I noticed in my career was I was always a little bit of a bull in a china shop. You know, I was always a little explosive and I didn't have that, that softer refined skill that I really needed, um, which, you know, hurt me more than it helped me, uh, quite honestly. And I met her and she was a tremendous influence in my life. She helped me out in such a way. And I traveled quite a bit back and forth to Chicago and in, in representing her with inside the company. And I think to myself, she came in, you know, based on, you know, the referrals and networking of other individuals and in the C-suite manner. And I think of what we do now with networking today and kind of promoting our own self-being and the people we work with. I think as we explode and get further beyond our comfort zone and start to incorporate a larger diversity in our network, I, and Mitch can tell you better than I can, is, you know, starting to kind of push some of those names forward because I've seen a lot of tremendous help from a lot of the women that I've dealt with, you know, in the past six months, especially amidst the COVID crisis. Yeah. I mean, I, on corp on the corporate side, I don't really have a lot of experience with that. I mean, I haven't really been in corporate America. I was in, I lived in Columbus, Ohio for a couple of years um, and worked for a large corporation, but so I haven't really had a lot of those experiences that I know women struggle with in the corporate environment. Um, but I have worked with a lot of female um, business owners and entrepreneurs and um, people that are leading smaller companies. And um, I don't know, I, I, I find that in a lot of cases, it's not always the case as there are with men or women. I just find that in a lot of cases, women are better leaders than, than men. And I think that, you know, it, you know, the reason that it's not recognized is male insecurity. It's not for women's inability. I mean, that's what it comes down to. So, you know, if we had more, and we still have now a lot of women in government and stuff, but, you know, you see governors and in and, and Congress and so forth, and we will have a female president sometime. But if, you know, I feel that if like, if we had a female leading this country through what's happened in the last year, I think we'd all be a lot more feeling a little bit better about everything that was going on. Just because like women are naturally mothering and more, and because of the, like you're talking about estrogen, women are more emotional than men. That's not a bad thing. It's a bad thing that men aren't as emotional as women because they get things out and they talk about stuff. We keep stuff inside till our head explodes. We have an aneurysm or, you know, our brain tumor or whatever. So, you know, I think that, that the women that I see that are succeeding in business and, 
in, in organizations and things like that, it's because they're better leaders than their male counterparts. And, you know, are there exceptions to that? Sure, there's also exceptions to men who are good leaders because they're, they have more emotional intelligence, they're more in touch with themselves and they're more caring about the people that they work with. And there's a lot of men who aren't. So that's what I see on the small, you know, the small business side. And, and you know, how do you improve that? I don't know, you recognize it and keep, you know, you should be looking at people maybe you give a woman more chance than a man because she might be better than, mm. I don't know. I'm not saying that men shouldn't be given equal opportunity, but you got to recognize what is what. And there's an, yeah. there's an opportunity to, to, you know, find greatness. I mean, look at uh, Aaron that I connected you with. And there's other women I know that, that run like, and I don't think Aaron built uh, the upside to be just all women. It just ended up that way. Cause she's a woman and in consulting, whatever, but there are forums and there are organizations that are doing that in the in the tech startup space, in the in the crowdfunding space. There are women who are successful and are now helping other women. They help men too, but they're helping other women to succeed and do that stuff. And there's a reason for that. That you know, women weren't suppressed in the and kept to work in the home through thousands of years because they weren't capable of doing it. It was the other way around. It was men that were insecure and would keep women down. It's the same with minorities and things like that it's not that they're not capable it's that there's people that are insecure trying to protect themselves and are push this person down look religions like that too totally built on the suppression of women i hate to say it you know but judaism you know christianity any kind of orthodox form of religion is all about suppression of women and yes and no though reasons. if i could offer the yin not for yang, good reasons if i could offer the yin and yang for that i will yeah. say that the institution of marriage at the time was revolutionary for women because uh, women became had a status, which is the right. Of course, <laughs> it was far better than before right. the institution of marriage. But I hear what you're saying. But it was uh, also like you know you're marrying off your daughter and you you got you had to provide yeah. something like it was a burden on the person who's yeah. marrying your daughter. So you had to give them like four goats and three cows. <laughs> it wasn't like to get them started in life. It we did not recognize that a woman had value outside yeah. of else. It was like, giving, it was like an imposition. <laughs> yeah. I know we've come a long way, but you know, I don't think I have to provide any goats when my daughters get married, but I hope not. I but, love that um, you talked about small business and women and where you do see that leadership shining. Because when I think about, you know, the power of women and leadership and where women can be the most successful is in small business. When you get into that world, Mm -hmm. um, you will have women that will empower you. Big time. And when you talked about that male insecurity, uh, women- I hate are to say that. I'm sure I'm going to get a lot of- No, you're right. Well, here, it's human <laughs> insecurity. Yeah, okay. Uh, and what I was going to offer was, as women are climbing the corporate ladder, just like men, they have those same insecurities. Sure. And where they how they manifest end up being different. I have a lot of women that'll tell you about the woman that disempowered her because she was insecure, just like the man that disempowers the woman because right. he's insecure. Because he's insecure, we, right. We do offer it's the bully in school, right? That's why they do it, because yeah. it's not because they're so, you know, they're insecure. Well, what we say is what you can't be with runs your life. Right. And so whatever emotion you can't be with, we talk about emotional intelligence, what, um, and we are all ju have judges. We all have that same inner judge that judges others and judges ourselves. And if you can't be with that, then you project stuff on people. <laughs> um, and to, but diversify your network was the other thing I heard there for women um, that are listening about how they can 
um, break through. And I think that is huge, Trevor, because that is not one thing that a man could take away to say, I can do this, is look at your networks. And there is a reason why I have Bring Your Own Brain. Like my podcast is for women because you guys have had your uh, enough spotlight. <laughs> but I also, I, I recognize your gifts and your brains, um, hence why you can bring it. All pronouns are welcome. And so I think that's important for men. Trevor, I'd love for you to talk a little bit more on that when you talk about well, networking, what you see. I, I can tell you, so I spent all, most of my career in corporate America. And when I kind of transitioned into my own business model, you know, I, I had to get the networking one-on-one situated. You know, I didn't, I didn't have a huge network. I started to expand upon it. I started to meet people and just phenomenal leaders, you know, women in, at the C-suite level, there's a chief network. And I started to, I'm like, well, I, I didn't even know that these people existed like throughout my business model. Right. And a perfect example, there was a lady I met um, early on in my networking when I started my business. She goes, well, let me, let me ask the chief network. And I thought to myself, wow, it's like, it's empowering network for C-suite women in business. And you know, the, the synergies and it, it actually landed me a client. It was a short term project, but it was great. And then the, the back end, because I met so many different people along the way and introduced, I, I refer them like I'm talking about my own family because to me, they've, they've intersected in such a way that's positive. I feel a very high level of integrity and transparency. And I believe that they should be working with a lot of businesses because they do things similar to me or complement what I do. And I would have never known about that if it wouldn't be for the pandemic. Cause I would have a little been a little malreminded minded in what I was doing. You know, I didn't have that expansive shot into my network. Like I would have been kind of forced to do otherwise. And I'm a big believer in fate. Everything does happen for a reason. And that, I think that's part of what we're supposed to do as people. Like I, I love promoting it. I love kind of bringing different people in and, and trying different things out. And, and I think that really puts a testament to where we are right now. Yeah. I agree. Absolutely. Yeah. As a woman that's gone to a lot of networking events um, that are business and entrepreneur related, there's not a lot of people that look like me and how I'm perceived and the interactions I have because there's less women that look like me in the room is different than going to places where there are more women present. And, and it's, so it's interesting that you didn't meet them until you got to the C-level. Like where, 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 and because these meetings I'm going to, right? Yeah. Or notice them, but the meetings I'm going to, they're not C-level. They're local networking groups. Um, they're maybe they're in the city networking groups, but they're all aimed at your entrepreneurs or they're aimed at um, like an age group, really. So it could be anybody in business. Uh, I was a nonprofit, so I was going to a lot of stuff to meet people. And it's primarily men. Yeah. Well, I think for me, for me specifically, so I, I kind of grew my career at the corporate world and I didn't, I didn't network quite a bit. I barely networked just with the intersections I had. So when I hopped in, I, I hopped in at a different stage at, of where I think I, I, from where I am in comparison to other people, but immediately I saw value. Like, I mean, it didn't take me long to start understanding that, Hey, listen, I needed another, another point of view. Uh, quite, quite honestly, and quite quickly, you know, to kind of grow as an individual as well. So for me, I think it was very, it was very empowering to kind of see this, you know, and really, you know, kind of promote it. You know, I, there's a, 
executive network that I spoke to as a person. It's something similar to what Chief does, but they, it's for, for all genders, right? All people. And he was asking me some questions and I go, well, listen, I have to introduce you to so and so forth. And he goes, oh, wow. He's like, you know, how did you meet her? And I explained, he goes, wow, there's a lot of power in, connect in networking and connecting. And, you know, I learned a lot from Mitch when it comes to that every day because he introduced me to somebody new almost every other day. Well, I remember in 2001, because it was after 9-11, I was at a company nearby my office now, actually. And there was this posting, I guess, for this company called Network Plus. They're not around anymore. They're having a meeting at a local restaurant. I'm like, oh, whatever. So I went, didn't know anything about networking at the time, met a guy who I'm still friends with, a guy named Bruno, who's an attorney. He was in the title business at the time. He started talking to me. And he said, ah, I've never seen you here before. Why don't we have coffee like during the week and I'll, I'll teach you all about networking. And he did. And he taught me about giver's gain and why you get together, what you're doing, why you meet people outside of meetings. What, and ever since then, I've been expanding. Now, COVID, I probably tripled my network that was already big before. But I mean, you know, it's who you know and who you connect with. And I think, you know, the world becomes a much bigger place when you realize, when you meet really quality people, men or women, um, who have you know, resources and organizations that you can connect other people to, to, you know, raise really great leaders, you know? I mean, that's why there's women in government now, because that happened. People were connecting with other people and recognizing each other and saying, wow, you're fantastic. Why don't you do this? And that, and then somebody came along and said, I could be just like Katie, I'm going to run for office. And there's seven at the time. And now she's in Congress, you know, I mean, that's happens from the, from the generations. I think my kids, my girls, especially, I don't think they think there's any limit on their life and what they can do. They just don't look at it that way. Nor do they look at the fact that any of their friends have two moms or two dads or their friends' skin colors are different. I mean, they just don't look at it that way. Yeah. They're, so Mitch, what I'm hearing, to them. yeah, what I'm hearing you say is the Simon Sinek, like people have to die. <laughs> well, and, I mean, there's definitely a, a generational thing that you can't, change people just by exposing and you can change some people you can change people to a certain extent but yeah it definitely takes generations sometimes for things to to change with all this crazy stuff that's going on to, to adapt right to change like yeah. it really we're we're all adapting as humans on this earth with amongst the crisis amongst leaders amongst you know uh, the protests yeah, everything we're some all that stuff's not going to change until yeah some of those people die yeah. Yeah. So they die or they get another point of view. And I, I love the, the point of Some view. Some of those people are never going to have another point of view. I'm sorry. They just won't. I don't mean to be <laughs> pessimistic about it, but people that are, you know, well, white, white. Well, neuroscience would suggest that they can change. But right. Science would say that, but I'm just saying. It takes some new neuropathways, which is why I wanted to have this conversation today, because I think that this is the one opportunity in the world, because everybody's neuropathways of how you do business as usual and how you lead as usual have been disrupted. And uh, so I'd love to end today with uh, another point of view. I'd love for each of you we to- We got to end? Offer. I thought we were going to be on all day. I put the we're whole We're going to have to end. Um, <laughs> Uh, another, what's your, 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 your point of view right now today on what uh, the world needs in leaders? So we'll give you each uh, your last statement today. Okay, Trevor, go ahead. It's always me first, Mitch. Yeah, I love well, you. You right? went first, so I get the last word. All right, fair enough. I like that. So I think if I'm thinking of my last point of view for leaders today is really to, to, to take a chance 
and to not be afraid to jump. Figuratively speaking, I think, and to kind of look outwards and really start to look for ideas that may not only be in the business situation, but in your own life setting. There's some things that I learned personally in my own family household that have helped me and the businesses I'm working with just because I'm living and I'm, I'm open to exploring different things. So I think for me, that's, that's really one of the resounding notes. I can't just beat in enough. Um, what I would say is that I think leaders of today, and I think more of at a higher level, maybe than the local business owner, but leaders of today, I think they have to be, um, they have to be caring. They have to be um, honest. I think we don't get enough honesty from people and maybe that's fear partially, but, and, and they have to act as if the people that they interact with and lead and care for matter. And I think there's a lot of companies that they're getting it, but they, there's a lot of companies that don't do that. And without the people, you don't, by the way, you don't have a company. It doesn't run itself. So I, I would like to see our leaders going forward, um, have those kind of characteristics where they, they are caring and they are honest with people. We're, we're, all, we're not stupid. We know when you're lying. Um, and start to realize that there are things going on even outside our borders that are good things, whether, whether it's the climate, whether it's the, our healthcare system, whatever. We can't solve this on our own. We could all solve it together. Assuming we want to stay on this planet, we're not going to go to another planet. So you know, and I don't mean that from necessarily a sustainability standpoint, but from, from the fact that if you're a good leader, you got to recognize that there are good things out there, good ideas. Let's figure out what people are doing right. Let's form, which is, I think, a good thing about coronavirus, right? People connected all over the world. The healthcare system is going to be different going forward. The, our planet's going to be different going forward in a good way. I hope we deal with these things better, but we need leaders that care and are honest. And, and those are probably the two most important characteristics of I think in today's day and age with everything that's going on of a good leader. And I just don't see that enough, unfortunately. Thank you guys so much. Uh, both of you absolutely care and are honest and are great leaders. I appreciate you lending your brain to today's conversation on leadership. And I look forward to continuing to connect and converse with you guys. Uh, it was great to meet you during this uh, COVID time. Thanks, Brad. Thanks, Katie. Yeah.